Have you ever seen a murmuration? It is one of the most mesmerizing scenes in nature. Birds of a feather flocking together, of course, but, but also flying in a swarm, so attuned to each other that their flight is just a wonder. The murmuration pulses with energy and beauty as each bird responds in kind to those around them. It's, it's a mystery and a beautiful one at that. Uh, but have you ever been in a crushing mob, felt the pressure of a, of a mob? Maybe you're the kind of person that enjoys a mosh pit scene. Okay, so there's that. But, but those have been pretty deadly, depending on the concert, right? The, the crowd is predictable only in its unpredictability. I was, I was pretty excited about the Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl win, right? And, and excitedly made plans with a friend to bring our boys to downtown Seattle to celebrate. Yeah, we got to the YMCA at about 5 a.m. and had all sorts of fun playing around as the crowds gathered below on the street. Then we watched uh, the parade go by from the upper windows. And that, that was good for a while, but I wanted my boys to feel the crowd energy. So we went down to the street level and, and wormed our way through the crowd. It was pretty intense. Stay with me. Just trying to squeeze through on the sidewalk, or in this case, side of the road, was a major challenge with three young boys. Uh, we, we were stuck so close together in the crowd. You could just feel the kind of the crowd moving left, right. There's energy. You know, and there's there's a lot of energy in a crowd, but it's not always good energy, right? We've seen other crowds in Seattle since then: marches, protests, uh, then disruptions and riots and destruction. Some of it planned, and some of it sparked by reactions that come with excited crowds. Oh no, we're running this way, running this way, and then crowds colliding. Right? There's a fine line between a gathering that reacts with fear and one that responds with faith. In the scripture, the word ecclesia is used to describe both a gathering mob and a gathered congregation. And so today I'd like to contrast the crowd reacting from fear with the congregation responding from faith. Now, some amazing things have been happening in the great city of Ephesus. Acts 19.11 says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Right? Then, then there was this power showdown with demons who knew about Paul, but, but realized that unless you submit to Jesus' authority, you have no authority over the demons. And then there was this large group of believers in Jesus who had submitted to his authority, had given up their magic practices, and they realized that confessing Jesus as Lord, that allegiance or faith, meant doing away with magic. And, and we learned that magic attempts to gain spiritual power without submission to the Creator who has the authority. And so then in Ephesus and all around Asia, everybody was affected in the message of Jesus as Messiah, as, as Lord, spread with great power throughout the whole region. And so what would happen to the institutions of power in the city? If people no longer buy into the religious and political and financial schemes, what kind of collapse would ensue? What would happen to the crowd? 
we can think about our own lives as well. And of course, I want us to, you know, our life together as, as a church, um, as well as our life in, in society. If we were to submit to Jesus as Lord, what would shift about our daily life? What would we get rid of so that we could live the life that is truly life? What effect would that have on our neighbors? So let's get into the text for today. Acts chapter 19, verse 23 to 41. About that time, there there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's how Christians were talked about. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Okay, no little disturbance. That's hyperbole, right? No little business. So big disturbance, big money. Then he gathered these craftsmen together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And and there's danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may be even deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Wow. Okay, so you see their top concerns, right? Personal wealth, starts with, uh, their reputation, and religious decline. Think about that. Personal wealth, reputation, religious decline. What a mixture. Willie James Jennings is insightful, and I want to lean on him today. He says, confronting those powers that oppose God often means confronting those seeking to protect their wealth. Paul had been in this kind of situation before where his actions directly challenged the cultural economy and financial arrangements of a city. Paul faced the slave, uh, slavers and owners of Philippi in Acts chapter 16, who had had him tortured and imprisoned, and now an equally dangerous threat of direct action against him and his colleagues looms in Ephesus. Once again, these disciples of Jesus are disrupting the smooth flow of production and consumption of goods and services. So this is a big, big thing for us today. Like, well, what about my wealth? What about our reputation? What about religious decline? And, And that gets our hackles up. Uh, we, we worry about that for Christianity. We worry about that in America. We worry about the disruption of goods and services, the, the flow of production. Now, these are all really heart-level concerns. How many of us have been struggling with just the, the cost of doing business these days, the increased prices, the, the drain on our wealth, right? That gets people pretty messed up and and pretty excited. Demetrius, uh, Willie James Jennings goes on, Demetrius has evoked a powerful mix and a winning strategy for fostering hatred and mindless violence. (laughs) If you want people to hate deeply, hate down to the bone, then suggest that someone or something threatens their financial stability and their theological beliefs. Whoa. If you want people to be willing to kill without hesitation, 
suggest that these same enemies will weaken the social and political standing of a place and a people by disrupting actions. Ephesus will diminish in glory as the temple of Artemis diminishes in glory and, and our businesses diminish in productivity and, and sales. He goes on, once this logic is unleashed on a people, no people has the power to resist its powerful impulse because it conjures the spirit of fear and of failure and reminds people of their vulnerability as creatures in this world. Well, I'm really thankful to Jennings for helping, helping me frame this today because it's, it's so true and, and it's not just the, the Artemis uh, goddess and the temple, it's now. I mean, how many of us have felt the earthquake of like, wow, whose society is this anyway? Wait a minute, what are, what are these opposing views? And, and it's like I don't even recognize my nation anymore. And I don't understand what's going on with these crowds and, and the mobs. And, and it doesn't make any sense. And so we feel this vulnerability. Like we're not on top of the world anymore. Yeah. The, the tradesmen were feeling the pinch as they produced goods for the worshipers all over the world. And these disruptive Messiah people need to be shut down, even if we have to shout them down, right? So the temple to Artemis, uh, the Artemision, was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, a center of power for Asia. Get this, it was the first bank in Asia, with money being stored there, earning interest, and being loaned out by its clerks. A temple and a bank? Right? Well, the, the money was considered safe because no one in their right mind would challenge the authority of, of Artemis. She was the huntress, a goddess of, of fertility, ultimately an amalgamation of various gods called Diana by the Romans, and, and she held the populace in her sway. This cult of Artemis was the most widely followed in the ancient world, with some 33 worship sites from Spain to Syria in the Roman Empire. Of course, the Jews had their pact with Rome. We've discussed this before. Um, and, and so they did not have to honor this goddess or the imperial temple. And, and Ephesus boasted two imperial temples establishing worship of the Roman emperor. This was a a curious contest for cities in that time. They would pledge their loyalty to Caesar and, and ask for the honor of building a temple. And it's kind of like cities nowadays trying to host the Olympics or the Super Bowl. You know, you, if, you, if you're a good city, you could, you could make your case and, and then you could host the imperial temple. And that would have all sorts of tax advantages and honor among the other cities. <laughs> and there's a huge amount of civic pride going on in this scene, isn't there? This our city, our city. You know, Ephesus was, was living in, in relative luxury. The aqueducts were bringing fresh water in. The public baths had the, the hot water baths and saunas and cold plunge pools, warm pools. They actually had toilet facilities that had running water for sewage. Um, even if there wasn't a whole lot of privacy. <laughs> uh, this little private library um, and tomb boasted 12,000 scrolls here in downtown Ephesus. Um, the downtown condos were lavish and ornate with water piped into their homes. Business was good for this port city. 
Let's not disrupt this, right? When the tradesmen had heard what Demetrius was saying, the mob begins to form. They're probably marching down the center street past the merchant stalls on the way to the theater, which would have seated 25,000 people, though I doubt they were sitting at this time. When they heard this speech of Demetrius, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It, it doesn't really have quite the chanting rhythm, does, does it? It's not like, what do we want? Justice. And when do we want it? Now, right? It's not, it doesn't have that cadence, right? I'm remembering on a mission trip, I, uh, I got caught up in a political rally in Mexico uh, at one point. We were asked if we'd stay in this neighborhood where we'd just build a house and, and could you stay because Jorge Ramos is going to come into town and it's going to be amazing. He's going to do a little rally. And we're like, okay, well, we'll do that. I still remember the chance 12 years later. Uh, se ve, se siente, Ramos presidente. Se ve, se siente, Ramos. Give me a hat. Sure, I got this. And vota por Jorge Ramos, por el bien, por el bien de Tijuana. Vota por Jorge Ramos, por el bien. So, you know, on and on and on. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we were also chastised um, in front of the larger group for uh, entering into local politics. <laughs> Bad idea. But here we go. Great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. Well, it doesn't sound so good in English, but in Greek it sounds like this. Megale he Artemis Ephesion. Megale he Artemis Ephesion. Let's go, oh, I like that. And I'll let you say it with me as long as you don't actually intend to praise Artemis. Megale he Artemis Ephesion. And I think two claps in there makes it sound just right. Megale he Artemis Ephesion. Megale he Artemis Ephesion. So it's got some good cadence, right? So the city's filled with confusion. They rush together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. And, but when Paul wished to go among the crowd, the disciples wouldn't let him. Even some of the Asiarchs, or Asia Arcs, the, the city officials in, in Asia, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into this theater. That's curious, right? Very curious. Why not? Why not? Well, some of us would probably say, well, I know why not. But, but being a friend of Paul puts you in a tough situation. You know, could it be that these civic officials were Paul's friends because of healing miracles for their family members? Or maybe they had believing faith in Jesus as well. Maybe they're among the disciples. Gaius and Aristarchus must have had a rough time in here as well, being drugged down the road as the center of, of this protest. And I'll just say this, you know, maybe you know this, um, following Jesus puts you on the wrong side of the crowd, but in the right congregation. Can you think about that? Following Jesus puts you on the wrong side of the crowd, but, but in the right congregation. I know some of you are saying, well, the crowds are okay sometimes, right? Aren't they? Hold that judgment. Let's, let's continue on. Now, some cried one thing and some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them didn't even know why they had come together. But yes, yay, Artemis, and let's go, yeah. This reminds me of something that happened on April 29th of 1990. Um, uh, the then young sage uh, Bartholomew Jojo Simpson was concerned that his father Homer J. Simpson, uh, Bart and Homer, uh, that, that he, was, he was concerned that his dad was giving into crowd dynamics in 
throwing out all of his Krusty the Clown memorabilia after the entertainer was accused of a heinous crime. And so Bart says, but dad, you're giving in to mob mentality. And Homer says, no, I'm not. I'm just hopping on the bandwagon. Now, come on, son, get in with the winning team. <laughs> you know what crowds are like, right? Just like that murmuration of starlings, except for some crash landing, right? Now, some cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Megale Artemis Ephesion, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. See, the Jews were, were tolerated, in these cities, but not trusted because they didn't keep the festivals of the pagan gods, including festivals for the emperor. Uh, they would pray for the emperor, remember. But it's likely that the followers of the way were seen by the crowd as being the same as the Jewish people at this point, because it, that's part of Luke's discussion, is that, no, it's, it's a Jewish, it's the fulfilled Judaism, right? So it's, it goes on, when the town clerk, now, <clears throat> he, he's the banker, the scribe, the keeper of the ledger, the center of the business and the economy. When, when the clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Who doesn't know that? Well, you didn't know that. Um, here he references a meteorite right, that must have fallen near there and giving them divine favor and privilege. And most everybody doubts that this image fell from the sky properly carved, um, but somehow it was, a, it was a touch point for the society that helped them settle down, even if, even if this was a false assurance of their prominence and permanence of their religion. And more importantly, their wealth. He's, he's trying to calm them down, saying, hey, we've got the sacred rock, right? He goes on, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you've brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. I wonder if Paul would have raised his hand if he had been in the crowd. He'd be like, um, no, actually, I am blaspheming Artemis. And I, I completely defy the goddess Artemis in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. We don't know that. But, but certainly he would not have claimed that she was of uh, anywhere near equality with Jesus. The clerk goes on. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But, but if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. That's the ecclesia. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. He was the one in charge. Yes? Yeah. So Luke, the, the author of, of Acts, also a fellow traveler with Paul, is showing that following Jesus should, should be legal. It should be a legal endeavor. Um, the clerk addresses the fears of the crowd, however, with a, with a greater fear. Think about that. The clerk addresses the fear of the crowd with a greater fear. 
The crowd had got caught up in the fear that their livelihood would be taken away. They were caught up in the fear that, that Artemis would be displeased. But they were corrected by a greater fear that Rome would come and take away their privileged place. Hmm. And that leads me to, to think in and, and to a point that, that usually the only thing that can disperse a crowd is the fear of something greater. Usually the only thing that can disperse a crowd is the fear of something greater. The riot police or, you know, whatever. The crowd moves from fear to fear, but we, followers of the way, move from fear to faith. The crowd deals in fear. The congregation deals in faith. So question for you. Are you caught up in the fear of the crowd or the faith of the congregation? You know, do, do, do we really trust the crowds, honestly? They're so fickle, right? Soren Kierkegaard says there, there's a view of life which holds that where the crowd is, the truth is also. It's popular, right? And, and that, that is a, a need in truth itself that it must have the crowd on its side. Right? Well, look, that's very popular. Look at that. Look at the popular. Well, they're loud and proud crowd, so apparently they've got the truth on their side, right? But there's another view of life, Soren says, and this is um, 160 years ago. There's another view of life which holds that wherever the crowd is, there is untruth. So that for a moment, to carry the matter out to its farthest conclusion, even if every individual possessed the truth in private, yet if they came together into a crowd so that the crowd received any decisive, voting, noisy, audible importance, so it comes together, if the, if the people who held truth in private, if they came together into a crowd, untruth would be at once let in. There's just something about a crowd it doesn't respond right, but in a congregation that does. So are we being shown that oh, we need to have a private faith that doesn't draw a crowd or incite a mob? Right? This, this is a lot to ponder here. Allegiance to Jesus is a public statement with dramatic effect. And we can't shy away from that. He has claims for the world. He's all authority in heaven and on earth. So the question comes up, should we kneel in public places on like the 50-yard line, for instance, in order to pray, uh, knowing that it's going to attract enemies? Well, you could ask Daniel from the Hebrew Scriptures. He was a public official. What, what do you think, Daniel? You're, you're an official in Babylonian government, and you've been told not to pray in public. What do you think? And he might say, well, I got thrown into a lion's den for it. But on the other hand, they didn't eat me because God's presence was there. Oh, wow. You determine. What do you think? What do you think? Is that right? Is that wrong? But Ben Weatherington III says this. We might have a tendency to think that what was at issue in Ephesus was two rival forms of private devotion and belief. But this would be a mistake. Religious activity in the empire's cities was in the main a very public affair intertwined with politics and beliefs about the well-being 
of the city as a whole. Now, I haven't answered a bunch of things for you today, but I hope I've given you things to discuss. And so these would be some things to discuss in conversation <laughs> um, as we close here. So the mob in Ephesus um, is thinking these disruptive Messiah people need to be shut down, even if we have to shout them down, right? So where in our world or in our society are Christians being silenced? Where are the shouting crowds today? Are they online? When should we engage a shouting mob or a hashtag? When should we be silent? What was Jesus's example? Willie James Jennings says this, The volume of a crowd is never an indication of the strength of their faith, but always their vulnerability and oftentimes their fear. Can I say that again? It's, it's, it's pretty deep and it, it needs to be thought about. The volume of a crowd is never an indication of the strength of their faith, but always their vulnerability and oftentimes their fear. The crowd needs faith. A crowd that gains faith shrinks in size and becomes a congregation. The crowd that becomes the congregation happens one by one as those who have found the narrow way to life join together. He points us to Matthew chapter 7, 13, and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. May, may you find the way. Because the way of Jesus doesn't need a crowd to affirm it. We have the presence of Jesus.